Hey everyone, we have some exciting news. Our first season mixtape is out. Our producer and music manager, Cal Carson, has put together a great mixtape of all the original music you heard in season one and has released it on Bandcamp. You can find the link to that on our blog, our website, racismspodcast.wordpress.com. And you can also find it on our links in our Instagram page at Racism's Podcast. Please support. You can stream for free, but if you're interested in downloading and having it for yourself, uh, you can download for $15. All proceeds go to support the podcast. So please check it out. Welcome to the Racism's Podcast. We're your hosts, Jazlyn and Lisa. We decided that this world could use more cross-cultural conversations that seek healing over division, understanding over ignorance, and a better world overall. Welcome back to the Racism Podcast where we have cross-cultural conversations to make this world a better place. I'm Lisa, co-host of the podcast with Jaslyn. Hey. And we are excited to be back for season two. Hope you missed us because we certainly missed you. And before we start, we want to shout out to some of our avid season one listeners. Tanya from Maryland, Sean from Hawaii, Janet in Virginia, Lucas in Massachusetts, Ben in Rhode Island, Brady again in Maryland, and shout out to Cynthia in Maryland, who's also giving us a wonderful social media support, sharing our Twitter and Instagram posts. So thank you all for listening. Thank you for sharing our posts and sharing this podcast with others. If we didn't shout you out, make yourself known so that we can shout you out in another episode. Yes, and shout out to Yared out of Maryland as well. So this week, we're kind of easing our way back into season two by first doing some reflection on season one, particularly the episodes on friendship circles. Um, And then we'll kick off some discussion on workplace culture for season two. So first, I'd like to say that it sounded a lot like I didn't have any friends growing up and I currently don't have any friends now when you listen to those friendship circles. And I also said to Jaslyn that I'm happy with the friends I have and I'm not really looking to expand my circle. Um, So I want to take all of it back. Um, I think I was too narrow in my definition of friends. And the friends I had in the past, during that time that I had them in the past, just because we don't have the same relationship now, doesn't discount the wonderful relationships we formed, you know, during my childhood and college years and so on. So I want to take it all back. If we were friends in college, we were definitely friends, even though our friendships are different now, doesn't discount the friendships we had. So I want to first say that. And then second, I wanted to say that reflecting back on all that time, you know, I did have a lot of friends and I could name a lot right now that I would invite to my house, which is kind of what we were defining as friends during those episodes. And You know, this year I was supposed to turn 40 and I was going to throw myself a really big party and I could definitely name lots of people who I would, who I would want to come over and hang out and celebrate that birthday with me. So, um, 
put a note in your calendar because when I turn 41, it'll be my 40th birthday and I want everyone to come and celebrate with me. And second, I do want to expand my circle. You know, there's a reason why I joined like a book club when I first moved here, when I joined Toastmasters at work, you know, when I joined the Asian American group at work and why, ja- why I'm part of Jazlyn's movie club and social justice club. You know, it's not just to have, you know, important conversations, and especially in the social justice club, but it's to, you know, really meet people outside of my, my small bubble. And, and that's why I'm always seeking new opportunities to meet people. So I want to take everything back I said in those two episodes. It sounded like I was a loner, but I really do want to meet new people and expand my circle. And it's also expand my thought because um, definitely, especially through this podcast, I've definitely expanded my thought on a lot of things and knowledge about a lot of things. Jasmine, did you want to comment on anything about those two episodes? Um, I guess the only thing that I think was kind of missing from those episodes is we talked a lot about our friends, like quantity-wise or how, you know, what what type of friends they were, but we didn't really talk about the impact those friends and those friendships had on our worldview. And so I guess I kind of wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, I grew up, I would consider the town I grew up to be a smallish town. I call it a suburb of a suburb. (laughs) You know, not, not a lot of diversity, in my opinion, you know, mostly black and white, like I talked about. And so, um, I guess the friends that I accumulated from college to grad school to the workplace and adult life has slowly expanded my worldview. So, yeah, I just I just think that, you know, as you get older and you move away from your hometown or you travel, you meet different people that can that can help expand your worldview and and to see the world in kind of a a different lens. I tend to think of the problems here in the U.S. kind of singularly, but we, when you have like a diverse set of friends from different places in the world, you could see how different problems in different places of the world are kind of all connected. So I think the friends that I have or have accumulated over the years have really expanded my worldview and helped me to see things in a, in a larger, more expansive lens. Yeah, definitely. And I, I also see that a little bit with age and maybe age kind of correlates with, you know, how you move on through life in different stages. But definitely it seems to me like with every like different decade, I'm just like seeking a new type of friend, you know, like maybe like when I was in in high school and college, it was like just the fun people to hang out with. And as you get older, you know, you share life experiences with a certain um, age group of people, depending on your area, uh, stage of life, you know, and then you want to get into like really deep relation. You want to get to deeper relationships, I feel like, as I get older um, and not just the surface level or like, you know, the playground people that I see when I take my kids to the playground. Um, so, yeah, it's really, really cool that you can expand your circle through different ways. All right, so if anyone has any questions about season one or wants to give us feedback, please let us know. You can email us. You can tag us on social media. You can leave us a voice message, and we'll have all that information in the show notes as well as the end of this episode. So let's move on to workplace culture. Uh, it's a 
interesting place to be uh, since we are virtual and also uh, following the protests in the summertime. And so we just want to kind of dive into how we see ourselves in our workplaces and how it's changed since we've been home or otherwise. So I'll go first. I feel like I've assimilated into a white male-dominated engineering field. And I'm not really sure what came first. Was it me assimilating to quote-unquote American culture or was it me finding that this male, white male-dominated engineering culture was equivalent to quote-unquote American culture. So I've been really exploring that lately, um, this term assimilation. Jasmine, do you feel like assimilation, this, this, this term applies to you and how you feel like you weave yourself into work culture? I don't think so. I don't think assimilation would apply to me. Um, I see assimilation, well, the way I've normally heard of it is like back in the day when immigrants would come to the U.S., they would have to assimilate into the the culture here in order to, you know, learn how things are done and then kind of get into the mainstream and the workplace and things like that. So that's that's how I see assimilation is maybe an immigrant comes to the U.S. and they have to assimilate into the culture and me being from here I, I don't feel like I have to assimilate into American culture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so no I don't think it applies to me yeah I've definitely heard the term associated a lot with immigrants and not so much with people who grew up here um, and I think it's really a I mean, when we talk about assimilation, which I didn't really realize until very recently, is, you know, when immigrants are assimilating to the U.S. culture, they're specifically assimilating to U.S. white culture and not U.S. black culture or U.S. Latina, Latino culture. You know, it's not, it's definitely like the, the majority culture. And this is also reflected in, you know, back in the, back when I was growing up, you know, you couldn't, you know, stream television. I know, crazy. Um, you had to, like, go to the movies or watch TV at a certain time. Um, and the mass media culture in the United States was seen as something like um, like almost premium outside of the U.S. So, like, if you got, like, the newest movie released from the U.S. in another country, you felt like, well, you know, my country is awesome because it got like the first release of this U.S. made movie. And so all the mass media culture, I feel like that's being fed or delivered to other countries is also majority white culture. And so when growing up, when you think like American and you live like for me, I was in Taiwan and even though I don't really remember much from that child because I was only two years old, when I returned, that was the feeling I got is that when you think of United States 
and U.S. culture, you don't think of it as a melting pot. You think of it as, you know, white American culture. And that's reflected in, in the media that's shared, you know, Friends, the sitcom, which I love. But, you know, that's, you know, shared over there a lot. You know, the, all the movies that you see, if they're all white characters, then you think America is just like that's that's how you define America by white American culture. And I think that's something that we need to change so that people don't feel like they have to assimilate to that culture. They can assimilate or they don't have to assimilate at all. They can they can have both. Yeah, that's yeah, that's interesting. I know the exports of Hollywood movies and and TV into other countries is mostly white because they think that's what would mostly sell or be acceptable in other countries. But growing up in the 90s, there was a plethora of (laughs) black TV sitcoms Mm -hmm. and uh, black children's shows and black movies. So while I, I did get my dose of, you know, white dominated media, I also got a good dose of media that had you know black people represented pretty well Mm -hmm. so it's like I got you know I got my I got my you know uh, dominant culture media I could talk about friends too Mm -hmm. but I also got my black culture so it's interesting that maybe that the black movies and sitcoms don't get exported as much because they think that people aren't interested in that Mm -hmm. Yeah, and this the, this white dominance of culture is definitely not just limited to, you know, the United States. You know, it's it's kind of it's spread everywhere, right? Like this this notion that um, white is is superior or dominant, and that's the only thing people might be interested in, um, and so that's a shame. And, and I think I need to read more about this term assimilation as well because. Assimilation might sound like I give up my 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 uh, my culture, you know, my Chinese culture, in order to fit in in the United States. But I think assimilation can have a lot of, you know, it can be like a spectrum, you know, where you um, where you want to fit in because everyone I think wants to fit in somewhere uh, as a natural inclination. But at the same time. You know, I certainly want to preserve my culture, but not necessarily, well, not necessarily maybe force it. You know, I wanted to to be, I don't know what I'm trying to say here. I don't, I don't want to lose my culture while also trying to fit in into, into white spaces. Well, Lisa, I wanted to get back to your original comment about assimilating into the white dominated, male dominated engineering field. When you chose that field in maybe college, did you know how white and male it was going to be? Um, Did you factor that into your decision? Like, how did you decide to choose your field? Yeah, so I didn't factor that in, in deciding to pursue a career in engineering. Um, That was definitely not in my mind at all that I, that I would have to get used to that. But I think in your, in my college years, it certainly was a lot of men and white men in that field. So I guess it was kind of training already during college to kind of get used to that environment. But no, I didn't 
factor that in. And you, and you're also an engineer, so I guess I'll bring the question back to you. And how did you uh, factor all that in? I don't think it was a conscious factoring in. I remember I chose engineering in high school. There was a program of um, program to introduce uh, underrepresented groups, black students, to engineering fields. So it was like a club in my high school, and they would bring in different engineers to talk to us about their fields, black engineers. And so from that perspective, I got interested in engineering. Um, and when I went to college, I mean, I guess I I know what the larger society looks like, so I wasn't. I wasn't shocked at the the amount of white people and and men in the classes. So mm-hmm. I guess for me, it never it never bothered me. Yeah, I just I just went about my business. <laughs> right, right. And I don't know. I mean, I kind of because I was always in a male dominated environment because of engineering. Like I almost felt like I got along with my male colleagues just as well as my female colleagues. I don't know if I was brainwashed or like, you know, you belong here, you're fine here. Like I don't uh, think it's brainwashing. <laughs> I think, you know, you had some nice classmates. <laughs> I know some some female engineers like don't have that experience. They have mm. male classmates that are terrible mm. that, you know, harass them or, you know, treat them like they they don't know what they're doing or aren't, aren't worthy to be in that class. So I think, you know, different people have different experiences. And I think we may, both may have had good experiences with with decent, <laughs> decent people in our classes. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Drexel and University of Maryland. know when we talk about workplace culture and 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 working in because we're both engineers so we definitely it's definitely male dominated and still white dominated for now hopefully that's you know slowly changing because there are there are more female engineering students now than there were I think back when we were in college so that's that's good news hopefully they you know stay stay in the pipeline um so you know when I think about assimilating to, let's say, my current position, you know, I think about um, having the same interests as they do, you know, which they are my interests, you know, I do like to talk about cooking. Uh, We do talk about food a lot, a lot, a lot, which is good because if they were like a sports dominated group, I definitely would not feel as included or that I belonged. So I don't know if I, you know, just happened to be in the right group that, you know, they like sports, but it's not the only thing they talk about. Whereas I definitely feel like other classmates or family members who work in male dominated fields, like they almost, like they, they, not they, maybe they have to, but also they want to, but also they have to, you know, kind of like sports in order to fit in. 
So how how about you? Do you have that um, connection or non-connection with your workplace people through that sports or whatever interests, hobbies? No. <laughs> no, and, and they know that um, a lot of people in my group do watch sports. Sports ball is what I call it. And... Um, <laughs> And I, I don't. I mean, the only sports I, I really follow is black women tennis. I have to be specific because mm-hmm. I don't follow all tennis. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I don't, I don't have that connection. When they start talking about that, I'll just, my eyes will glaze over. And I don't, I don't feel the need to really watch sports or, I mean, I do read the news. So if I see a team has won the World Series, I'm like, oh, okay, I'll put that into my memory bank and I'll have a tidbit. <laughs> Next time they talk about baseball. So, no, I think, you know, you connect where you have common interests. And if you don't, I mean, I think that's fine. Mm. Mm-hmm. So why do, you, why do you think you have assimilated or, or is assimilation a goal for you in terms of uh, the workplace? So thinking about when I first started, uh, if you can believe it, uh, I was pretty shy and quiet. Um, and I think it's just because it's a new environment, right? You don't really know who your group is. But, you know, I remember making like an effort. You know, they used to go out for coffee a lot. So I, I would make an effort to go out to coffee with them, even though I was fine drinking, you know, whatever coffee was in the office. Um and I made an effort to, you know, talk to everybody. And I've been there for, you know, 10 years now. And I, f- I feel like I belong and I'm a core member of this group. You know, was, was I changing who I am in order to be part of this group? Did this group bring out who I truly am? Like, it's kind of like a chicken and egg. Like, I don't know if... I changed myself to belong in this group or this group, you know, accepts me because of who I truly am. Hmm. So I don't know if I have a, I don't know if the goal is assimilation. I think my goal is to belong and I do feel like I belong, but is that because this isn't me or is it because this is me and I actually do belong? I don't know. So do you feel any... Any sort of discomfort when you're with your group? Any sort of, ugh, I have to do this? Or, I mean, how do you, do you feel natural interacting with your group? How do you, how do you feel? I, I feel natural. I feel like I can speak my mind. Maybe I can speak my mind more now than I used to because other people are also sharing what's on their mind. So I don't feel icky. I don't feel out of place. But I guess the me wondering is still a type of unease as well because I know I'm pretty drained at the end of work. So am I putting off this, I'm happy, you know, life is positive, you know, I'm outgoing. But when I get home, well, you know, pre-COVID, when I got home, it was pretty draining to kind of like be on during work hours, right? But I don't know if that's me being on in terms of being assimilated to a white culture that's not mine or is it just being on because I need to portray a positive outgoing you know person I don't know that's you dig deeper 
adulthood. So while I think about that, let's 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 how do you feel interacting with your team members? So I think I said in a previous episode that you know, I don't I don't subscribe to the bring your whole self to work mentality. I think it's fine if you bring your professional self to work or the part of yourself that you're comfortable sharing. Um, I guess going into work, I already know that I don't look like most of the people at work. I know that for some people that might be a point of attention. Um, So I guess I kind of bring... um, not defensiveness, but a just a, a knowing that one day maybe someone might say something crazy. So, you know, I try to preempt that by just bringing my professional self to work, um, finding people who I can, uh, you know, bring different facets of myself out around, people I trust. Um, I'm naturally observant and introverted, so naturally I'm a quiet person with people I just met. Um, regardless of who you are, I want to observe you, see how you are, see what you're talking about, and then maybe we can move to a different level after that. Um, I mean, I feel fine at work. Do I wish I was more open? There was a uh, a person I worked with at my last job who was very open, um, talked about her feelings, talked about her her interests, talked to different people she didn't know. And I was like, that's so cool. I wish I could do that. But, I mean, it's it's just not my nature to be like that. So, I mean, I don't want to go against my natural self to try to be more outgoing and, you know, I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. So so did you say that you're kind of uh, protecting yourself if someone says something crazy? Is that what you said? Yes. Can you talk more about like what that comment would be about that is that you would want to protect yourself from? I mean, people say, all, you know, sometimes people will say things maybe they don't know what they're talking about. I remember this one interaction with a coworker um, I was telling them that I was going to go, maybe go home or I was going to go to a family event or something. And they were like, oh, okay, that sounds great. What are you, are you, what are you going to drink? Are you going to drink Kool-Aid? Mm. Kool-Aid? <laughs> <laughs> of all the, of all the things mm. you could talk about me going to a family event and it's just, it's just very strange. So yeah, um, I put that person in a back burner position, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm not going <laughs> to interact with this person for a few weeks because this uh-huh. person has clearly lost their mind. And, you know, sometimes I wish I had said, what do you mean? Like, I wish I had mm. addressed it right then. But, you know, after, mm-hmm. if you don't address it right then and you come back and you're like, remember last week when you said Kool-Aid? Mm-hmm. It was kind of strange. So I guess my, my mechanism is I will like, avoid that person for a few weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, give it time to cool off and be like, maybe, I don't know. Sometimes I wish I do address things as they come up. Mm-hmm. Like, when you say Kool-Aid, wh- why did you say that? Why did that 
beverage coming to your mind? And why why were you thinking about beverages? I just said I was going to a family event. <laughs> Very strange. Yeah. So, yeah, people mm. just, you know, they say crazy things. No, I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Yeah, and it's not, and it's hard to address things in the moment, right? Because you're just, like, shocked. And when you're shocked, you can't. I mean, I personally, I can't come up with a comeback until many hours later, if not right, days yeah. later. I, I, you know, I'm the type of person that will think of all kinds of comebacks like a few hours later. Like, I should have said this and that and I would have got them. And then it's like, <laughs> it's too late. Yeah, because that person, that comment, that per- comment doesn't, doesn't even, that person won't even remember they made. Because to them, it's a benign comment. But to right. You, right? Yeah, and when people make racist comments like that, you know, they might not even see it as racist. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And then you'll have to explain why it's racist and who wants to go into all of that. So mm. I just avoid mm. people like that. Mm. Does it like tire you out to have to put people, like observe people and then, you know, kind of react to everyone? differently does that tire you out no because i avoid people (laughs) um and and when you were in the office it was harder to avoid people Mm. um because you know you're in office the door's open they can just walk by Mm. but you know i usually stay at my desk do my work sometimes i'll go bother you if i want to talk to somebody (laughs) You know, I had my people. I could be like, okay, I need to talk mm. to someone and go talk to mm. you, you know, another person. Mm-hmm. So I guess I avoid those draining interactions. Ah, so the interaction is more draining than the avoiding. Oh, I'm yeah. like kind of avoiding facing is people. Great. Avoiding is, <laughs> I can do that. <laughs> so being at home has been quite nice then. Oh, it's been great. You know, I can I can schedule who I want to talk to, when I want to talk to them. Mm. No, no pop ups. <laughs> no pop ups allowed. But uh, yeah. So I also wanted to ask about when you you know observe this old coworker of yours who was able to be open and whatever with anybody, and you said, hmm, "I wish I was like that." But do you really wish you were like that? Or in what ways do you wish you were like that? Because you definitely don't want to be that. I mean, she's definitely extroverted. Mm. Um, She definitely derives her energy from being around people and talking and things like that. So that's not me. I do enjoy being around people. But like you said, at the end of the day, sometimes I'm just tired. Mm -hmm. I just talk too much. Too much talking. (laughs) (laughs) I just want to lay on my couch and stare. Um... (laughs) So, yeah, I, I guess I admire, I admire that. Mm. And while I admire it, I know that while I can try, and I think sometimes I've done it, like I would be like, you know, at conferences, okay, you got to mm. network, you got to talk to people, <laughs> smile, shake their hand, you know, look at them in the face. <laughs> sometimes you got to give yourself the pep talk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you could do it. Mm. But you know you have to you have to I guess plan those things out. You can't do that three times in a row, mm. three days in mm. a row. You got to give yourself mm. some time to rejuvenate. 
Yeah. Are you the same way? Well, before I answer that question, I wanted to know if this person, like, was she a white, a white female? No, oh, black, female? a black female. Okay. Okay. Black so that's different. Because a white woman maybe is more comfortable doing that in a white-dominated office environment. But your black female coworker was comfortable, and I'm assuming was the same white male-dominated environment. Yes? Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on the person. I don't, I don't know. I mean, a white female will have different things going on than a black female, but... The fact that you're open and, you know, friendly, I think is more of a personality trait. Mm. Mm-hmm. I mean, your your personality, your culture, everything you've accumulated since birth kind of makes you who you are in this moment. Mm-hmm. So maybe if you're a black person who, I don't know, has had bad relations with a white dominated culture growing up or you know what I mean different things will affect your out your your outlook so I know growing up I didn't have you know any really bad experiences with the the white dominated culture at school it was fine grad school was fine so going into the workplace I don't expect you know too bad of a time you know Mm -hmm. I'm not you know super paranoid but I do know that white people say crazy things sometimes (laughs) (laughs) and so you just got to be prepared for it Hmm. oh well non-white people say crazy things too they have come out of they have come out of my mouth and Mm -hmm. I have put my foot in it so apologies for all those times yeah I did that and even even in my hand-picked group of people, you know, I do have still have hesitation. I still need to know who they are. Like, for example, our mm-hmm. movie group. I honestly wasn't comfortable suggesting any movies that were, you know, had or featured mostly a black cast or was a black-themed movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what you guys would think about that. So my movie choices were more, you know, mainstream or white, you know, something I thought mm-hmm. would be acceptable until um, the white man on our group suggested Just Mercy mm-hmm. and people he responded positively to that. And I was like, oh, OK, um, I guess that's fine. So mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe I, sh- I could be more myself. At work. Maybe. Mm. Maybe. You don't have to force the issue, right? Don't force the issue. Yeah, so I'll answer your question, which was, you know, being in new spaces, I'm definitely also very hesitant um, because I've got this comment before. I'll share it with you. you. You probably heard me say this before. But I've gotten the comment that maybe I'm too friendly um, or too too jovial, that was the word they were using. Um, Who was using? Because that, m- m- this previous mentor of mine. Your previous uh, mentor said you were too jovial. He was white and male as well. Wow, that's uh, interesting. Right, so he told me, 
I need to tone it down, perhaps, because it may seem like I am less professional than my white male colleagues who are not as jovial, not as friendly, but are professional. And professional is not jovial. Right. Professional is, I assume, is boring and stoic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tell that to my group. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you don't have to tell a white man how to act because whichever Mm. way they act is the right way Mm, to act, mm, mm. right? The rest of us kind of have to choose what we're going to be. And I am, I took that comment, you know, I, uh, I pondered it and I said, no, like I will be who I want to be. And if males can't see that females can be friendly and jovial, yet still professional, then that's on them, right? Not mm. on me. Yes. But when I go to conferences and I don't know anybody, like I've just met you for the first time, I do put on, I am still friendly, but I do not make jokes with them the way I would joke with, you know, my, the people I've worked with for 10 years. Um, And I definitely do not go up and shake people's hands like one after the other, you know, I do Mm -hmm. have to make a plan. Okay, this is what I'm going to say. This is what we're going to talk about, you know, and I make it short and I get out of there because I don't really need, you know, I do have a plan as well. Um, but yeah, it is draining at the end of the day because I feel like I do still have to put on a, a mask. I've talked about it, right? Mm-hmm. A mask. And sometimes the mask is really genuinely me. And sometimes the mask, you know, is tiring because it's not, you know, it's kind of like an, I don't know if you've been to conferences with friends, but sometimes you're like, oh, look, it's Conference Lisa. You can tell it's Conference Lisa. That's Conference Lisa's laugh. You know, that's, you know, oh. that's not really her because she's around strangers. And so she's just acting a tiny bit differently, you know? Oh, okay. Interesting. There's a different Lisa. See? I mean, sl- I think that's slightly. Like, hey, yeah. as long as it's still you, you can put on a, like, this is, this is podcast Jaslyn's voice. <laughs> Yeah, Jasmine, what do you think? Do you think that it costs you energy to hold back even to do the mental calculus, as uh, Kyle said just now offline? I don't know what it costs to preemptively position myself to encounter random acts of ridiculousness at work. Mm. Um, I don't know if there's any way to measure that since I don't know if it's going to change. I don't know if I could, you know, do an experiment while I don't do that. And then I I just don't know how that would work. So Lisa, do you think the time and energy you feel you've expended maybe trying to connect with your coworkers or assimilate into the, to the workspace has cost you anything, anything in terms of like productivity or advancement in the field. Mm. Mm. Well, I do want to say that 
you know, we're not just working with white male dominance in the engineering field. We're also working as women. I feel like extroversion is something that is applauded, is 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 rewarded in in our in this culture here. Um, even though many engineers are introverts, like we applaud extroversion. So I feel like trying to be an extroverted self at work is definitely draining. Mm. Um, so that's one. But, you know, I, I feel that my accomplishments are rewarded. I feel like I'm in the right place in terms of um, status. Uh, and I think I've, I've been rewarded for my extroversion and my assimilation. Mm. And, but does that, is that like, did I cheat? You know, did I get there, get here by not being myself? Like, should I be ashamed because I got there doing the things that the culture wanted me to do like i i i don't know i'm i'm happy to reap the rewards don't get me wrong but you know did i get there in the way i didn't have to do anything like wrong or like necessarily like immoral to get here it's it's a complicated i don't know I feel like I'm being rewarded, but should I not be rewarded? Should I not do those things that would get me rewarded? You know what I mean? Hmm. I don't know. It's a good question. Right? Or do you do you feel like you have to do those things in order to be rewarded? Or you're like, no, I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna do those things because I don't want to, right? I guess my focus is my work. Um, if I don't make best friends with everybody in my group, it should be okay because my work should speak for itself. Mm-hmm. If I can't talk sports ball or if I, you know, if I don't, haven't watched all the crazy cult classic movies, you know, people bring mm-hmm. up all these crazy movies, Airplane. No, I haven't seen Airplane. No. <laughs> those are Those are also white movies right right that, have you, that list have of you seen coming have? to america what's that you know i could bring up a whole bunch of movies you've never seen that's a whole nother conversation that, that's another conversation i want to talk about that yeah that they all have. the movies you haven't seen and it's like and then you find those people who genuinely have seen those you know the shows on those movies without any agenda you're like you're genuinely genuinely surprised like oh my gosh this Mm. white guy has seen good times and he loves it it's great but um i yeah in a workplace i feel like your work should determine you know how far you can go now whether or not that's true it's probably not Mm -hmm. um you know i think we had a discussion at this at work that People naturally are um, aff- affiliate themselves with people who are like them. So, mm-hmm, if most mm-hmm. of the people are white males, then they probably feel more comfortable around white males. So, people who are not white males will maybe have to do something a little extra mm-hmm. to, you know, get into the to the fold. I don't know if that's just how it is. Yes, it is how it is. <laughs> that's just how it is. 
And, you know, we had to do work to make sure other people feel included. You know, I don't I don't need everyone to have seen these movies and TV shows to make me feel included. Mm. I'm, you know, as long as I'm a part of the conversation on work topics, like you're not excluding me from important Mm. work related things. I think that's fine. Fitting in is more based on, or your attempt to fit in is more based on the fact that you're not white or the fact that you're not male? Mm, see, yeah, that's a good question. Because I've definitely thought a lot about that too. Um, I think if, I think though fitting in as a female into a male-dominated field was my first. I feel like that was like the bigger hurdle as opposed to... Um, Southeast Asian or East Asian, uh, East Asian versus white. Um, And that's because there's a lot of East Asians that go into engineering. So I feel like I didn't need to make that hurdle because some male East Asian made that, made that crossover, you know, for me already. But I feel like the female into male dominated is the harder one Mm -hmm. for me to make. How about you? Um, it's probably more black. Mm. And I say that because, I don't know. Well, you weren't a part of any clubs. But, you know, <laughs> I, I gravitated towards, you know, the black clubs, not the female clubs. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I understood that engineering had a lot of males in it and I got along with, like you said, a lot of the male, my male classmates and my male colleagues, that's not a problem. But some cultural things, you know, like with the Kool-Aid and the hair Mm. are more, I think, geared towards my culture and my race Mm. than um, being a female. I could be wrong. But, you know, I, I've had, I think, you know, most of my friends in engineering were male because it's male dominated and I didn't feel any, any tension in that area. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. But it could be a combination. Intersectionality. Mm-hmm. So, Lisa, did you decide whether or not you're the real you? <laughs> Will the real Slim Shady please stand up? <laughs> I think I'm the real me. So, so Kyle had talked about this, I think, during his producer episode, or maybe this was offline. Um, but, you know, he has shared that when he was working in a mostly um, black culture where there was a lot more black people in his working environment he felt different and perhaps acted differently than when he was working in a white 
dominated workplace. Um, so I tried to like picture myself, like if I was working with other Asian Americans, would it be different than working with white Americans? And like, I couldn't really like picture myself acting a whole lot different. But if I was working with mostly Asian Americans who were first generation immigrants, I might act differently than Asian Americans who grew up in the United States. Because I feel like there's a cultural difference there that I would adjust to. And I don't know, maybe it's just my personality. I want to be respectful of the, the, the dominant culture around me. Like I don't want to be, like I want to fit in. I don't want to stick out, I guess. So I think if I was working in a first generation or first generation immigrant environment, I would be a little different because I want to fit in there. Hmm. So I think my, I think I just want to fit in. I don't want to stand out. I guess, yeah. And I guess uh, the fact that I know that I do stand out and there's nothing I can do about that Mm. kind of plays into my kind of being a little more quiet or a little more, you know, you know, not as out there as I don't want to, I don't want to stick out way too much. I already stick out enough, Mm. you know? Mm Mm-hmm. So do you feel more comfortable if you're hanging out with like your childhood friends or in your neighborhood or um, with your family? Well, I mean, your family is your family, of course, but can you, do you notice like a vast difference between how you are at work and how you are with the people you're comfortable with? Oh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you know, I, I said I don't give, I don't really give a lot away with, mm-hmm. I call them associates. They're not mm-hmm. friends. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. workplace associates can become friends, mm-hmm. but the majority of the people you work with are not your friends. So, you know, they don't get everything. The friends I choose will get more of me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's fine. Mm. How will how will how will I know as a friend? <laughs> If I've gotten all of Jaslyn, if I make, if I'm cracking a lot of jokes, mm. I, I, I'm a very, I, 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 like, I like to crack jokes. I like to make people laugh. Yes, you do. And uh, yeah, now if I if I share a very inappropriate joke, now ooh, <laughs> we are really good friends. <laughs> An off color joke. Whoa. Okay, I haven't got one of those, so I'm gonna wait. I'll be waiting. Yeah, you won't hear it on the podcast. No, of course not. <laughs> Just carry a tape recorder wherever I go. <laughs> so I did want to go back to the comment. People are using this a lot nowadays, okay, about bringing your whole self to work, right? And you had said you don't really believe in that. So are you happy with what you bring to work? Is there more that you would like to? Or you would you like to see the workplace change? So that you could bring more of yourself to work? I think that there are places and situations where you can bring more of yourself to work. For example, uh, this past February, every February is Black History Month. Mm -hmm. And so um, this past February was the best Black History Month of my life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
<laughs> at work, we we scheduled four events for every week of February, um, mm. featuring different topics um, related to being black at work. Or we had a a panel on HBCU research researchers. We had a colloquium speaker of a uh, a black man who was you know very high in his field. And the last mm. event of the month was our celebration where we had a potluck, people brought different foods from their culture, we had a DJ, we had a step team, we had mm. line dances. I mean, that was great. Mm. And so, you know, things like that, I feel like, you know, it's Black History Month. Of course I could be black at work. <laughs> you can't say anything, it's Black History Month. <laughs> <laughs> um. So, yeah. I think there are, are places and situations mm. where I can't. And I think it's getting better because I don't remember ever having a slate of events like that at any place, mm. school or work. I thought it was great. So hopefully we can continue that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. What about you, Lisa? Yeah, I think this whole concept of bringing yourself to work is, it can be, is, to me, it's a little bit loaded because it's definitely going to be easier, more acceptable for some people to do this than others. I would like everyone to feel that they belong at work. And belonging is also, it can be loaded too, you know. But I think people, I don't want people to feel excluded maybe is not excluded at work where they always feel like they're on the periphery. And that doesn't have to just do with race. It can do with sexual orientation. It can do with religion, um, you know, political affiliation, all that stuff. So I do understand where they're trying to come from when they say bring your whole self to work. But I also want really people not to feel excluded from their immediate workplace, workspace. So for me, I mean, I feel like I can. I mean, the only thing I really don't bring to work is my motherhood in terms of, because I know society and this is society at large, they don't always reward mothers because they may seem like they have a lot of you know, childcare responsibilities, maybe elder care responsibilities. And then they're not seen as like fit for promotion or management or more responsibility. So I do tend to keep that part of my life pri- more private than, you know, what I made for dinner or where, you know, where I'm going, what am I going to do this weekend? Um, and I don't know if I... It's not private around Girl Scout cookie time though. Well, no, that's not parenthood. That is troop leaderhood and selling all the cookies, <laughs> and then bringing your daughter to you know really, really drive in the sales. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to bring my motherhood to 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 work unless it's to sell Girl Scout cookies. That is true. Mm-hmm. But no, I think that's that's just that's the only part I feel like, and I don't really feel like I wish I could say more or do more because. You know, I think I keep my family pretty private anyway, besides Girl Scout cookie sales. Uh, yeah, so I think the, I think the, the, the 
feeling behind this phrase is good, but it's going to be different for everyone. And I don't always fully support it 100%, especially when a, a white woman says it, because it's a lot different, right? When she says it, she means something different than if another person says it. Oh, so, you, so okay, so you mentioned the Black History Month, which was awesome. I did attend part of it. Did you do you wish that kind of expression or that kind of uh, appreciation of that of your culture would be more available throughout the year or more available to you in your work envi- in your immediate work environment? I will say this. And maybe it's just the lens that I'm looking at it through. But I feel like when we have these cultural months, cultural events, that some months and events are more uh, accepted or more people are more interested in them than the Black History Month event I mean you know I did take notice at the celebration who was there and who was not Mm. there Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I noticed a lot of people who attended the Asian American events and the Hispanic American events who are not at the Black History Month events Mm -hmm. Um, maybe they had something else to do Mm -hmm. or maybe they just didn't want to go I don't know Mm. but um I think, I I mean, I don't know if you notice this, but I just feel like people are more, you know, open to talking about Asian American experiences and Latino American experiences um, more than the Black American experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and maybe that's because, you know, they weren't part of the Asian American experience. Um, they weren't part of the Latin American experience, but they... Cause well, they were a part. I mean, what are you talking about? They're part of every experience. <laughs> well, you know, they when kinda, we're talking, yeah. that's, I guess it depends on where you're, which kind of event you're talking about. But, you know, they weren't part of the immigration experience. They were definitely part of and caused a lot of strife, you know, when they immigrated here. Um, I'm talking about the immigration experience, but when I'm talking about like the African American experience, like, they they caused that, right? They brought them. They didn't, you know, we chose to immigrate. You know, African-Americans did not. And so they're not ready to face that they were they were an integral part well, to a, a who lot you of, are now. A lot of black Americans did choose to immigrate. There are a lot of, mm-hmm. you know, Immigrants from Africa and the Caribbean who didn't necessarily, you know, didn't go all the way back to the slavery years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there is that experience. Um, but yeah, like you said, I mean, the mainstream culture is a white dominated culture. So the Asian American experience and the Latin American experience in the U.S in some way, has to have been affected by the dominant culture. So mm. in some way or another, we're, you know, we're all affected by it. Mm-hmm. But maybe they don't see it like that. Maybe they see, you know, an othering and they, they want to learn about mm. this 
culture they they're not super familiar with and it's it's cool and then they learn about the discrimination you know that the Asian Americans went through and they're they're very sympathetic mm. Mm. and they say how can we change this how, what can we do and I see those comments and you know it's legitimate we nobody should be discriminated against but you know where's the sympathy for black Americans mm. where's the urgency to you know, call for something to do about it. Yeah, I don't see yeah. it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think also we can, I think we can kind of exoticize, you know, Asian American, Latin American culture because it's like so different and not so different. It's just... It's almost like they came from a different world, you know? It's like not ours, not not in the United States, right? It's like a different culture. But, you know, when they have to, excuse me, because Black African-American culture is this, is, is, is the culture here, they don't want to acknowledge that there's like another culture, a legitimate another culture here. They only want to, say white American culture is is the culture, is the United States culture. Well, I would argue black American culture is the culture that's been uh, appropriated by the dominant culture. Mm. Put a new face on it and that's what we call the culture. But mm. that's just me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so you would hope that the next time there is a Black History Month event that more people would come or or, or not? What, what do you I mean, think? I don't care. I want people who mm. are interested to come. That, that's um, what I thought you would say. For saying. me, I, I look at it as a celebration of my culture. Mm-hmm. If you want to participate in that celebration, please do. Join us. But, you know... Uh, we haven't talked about the white gaze, but you know, I don't want to. I don't want to put on something for the white gaze for them to, you know, accept it. I want mm. it to be acceptable to me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. first, and then if they want to join, that's great. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, Lisa, what does inclusion mean to you? There's a lot of talk about diversity. Mm-hmm. What is it? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. So, what mm-hmm. a, what does a cl- inclusion look like to you in the workplace? I, I feel like you're part of the cool club. You know what I mean? Like when you were in high school, and you could like identify like the cool club. I feel like inclusion, and this is very shallow. You know of a way of describing it but you want I want to I want people to come to work and feel like they are part of the cool club and I don't mean the male white club I mean like that the group that they work with or the company culture is that everyone can come and feel like they are part of the cool club and not the outsider not the person who is never welcomed into conversation or someone who's always ignored at a meeting. 
that's what I, f- I feel like inclusion mm. is, is that we all feel like we're all part of the same club. We all have an equal say. And we don't, you know, we don't hate going to work in the morning. Mm. What do, how about you? What do you, th- what do you feel like that means? I can see that. I can see, you know, having your voice matter, I think is a big thing. Mm-hmm. Part of the cool club. It's an interesting analogy. Like I could definitely see, like even within, within my group, people who are more close, mm-hmm. who talk more, hang out more. I just feel like as long as if there's a group meeting or there's, you know, Project-related things, work-related things, even with lunch. Like, you mm-hmm. know, if everyone's going to lunch, everybody right. should be included. But there are mm-hmm. some people that go to lunch more often than not. I don't know. It's an interesting idea. Mm. Like, for example, if we go out to lunch, you mentioned before about, you know, what type of places are we going out to lunch? And, you know, can I can I suggest sushi? Can I suggest that? And I was talking about, you know, can I suggest vegan or non-vegan? But and then, you know, I didn't I haven't said this on, on mic, but sometimes if you say you want to include everybody, so you're not going to pick a meat centric uh, restaurant because, you know, I'm a vegetarian. But some people will say, you know, well, now you're discriminating against the dominant meat eaters. Mm-hmm. Because you want to accommodate the non-meat eaters. Mm-hmm. People, I've heard comments like that. People have said that, you know, if you, if you, if you consider or if you, you know, if you say you want to increase the number of, of black engineers or uh, non-white engineers at your workplace and you, you want to give them a little extra consideration, well, now the white man says, now the white man is discriminated against because, mm-hmm. you know. Now we we have to consider race, and that's discriminating against me. So I mean, which is which is ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but someone someone has said that out their mouth, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, at at a meeting, (laughs) in my presence. So yeah, I mean, people, you you really can't win with everyone, but Mm -hmm. I think at our at our workplace, they're trying to make this the culture. Mm-hmm. of inclusion mm-hmm. I don't know I don't think they know the best way to do it yeah. but it is a hot topic these days maybe if there wasn't a dominant culture everyone would could feel included and I don't know how hard it is or how long it's going to take to not have a dominant culture you know whether the dominant culture is whiteness extroversion, um, meat eating, you know, low carbness. Like, I just feel like there's always going to be some sort of dominating factor within any group of people. And then someone is going to feel excluded. Yeah. And, uh, and then that's where I think, you know, my, your, your group, your, the people you have handpicked come into play at the workplace where you can have that, that feeling of inclusion, Maybe the wider culture, you don't really feel not necessarily excluded, but not, you know, part of the cool club, but you have your own personal cool club. Is that okay? Mm. Yeah, is that enough, right? 
I mean, at a personal level, I think it's enough for me. But I mm-hmm. think at a at an institutional level, I think there should be more effort to increase the number of non-white, non-male scientists in engineering, and in to make sure that once they get here, they feel heard, they feel um, like their work matters and, you know, just as much as anyone else, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. they feel comfortable. Yeah. And I feel like that making everyone included is still kind of on us to do it. And us meaning the non-white male people in an institution Like, it's up to us to make people feel included because we're the only ones thinking about it. Well, not necessarily. No? You have people, you have white males that that are thinking about it. You know, maybe they don't know exactly how to do it, but they they care. Mm. But I, I do think that a lot of the burden, maybe we feel like it is on us because we think that. We don't think anyone else will do it. Mm. But I think, you know, I think it. some white men do do think about how, think about that, including mm. everyone. So Lisa... In terms of assimilation, are there any like milestones or steps one can take or or you <laughs> personally have taken to assimilate into the, the dominant culture? My 10 steps to assimilation. Yeah. <laughs> so we had talked about this offline where my parents um, at first when they moved to Pennsylvania, they were living um, in Philadelphia where the population was mostly African-American and then they moved out into the suburbs where it flipped, you know, definitely majority white. And I, f- I feel like if I had stayed in an African-American dominated city, that I would have assimilated into that culture instead of the white dominated culture that I was now surrounded in, in suburbs. So I feel like that really kicked it off because, you know, after, even though I only spent a few years in um, Philadelphia, um, the city, you know, you talked about the 90s um, availability of, you know, lots of good African-American programming. And I was still watching that programming when I moved out to the suburbs um, because I probably watched it growing up in Philadelphia because, the people around me were watching um, like those sitcoms, uh, Living Single. I remember that one. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Martin. Oh, yes. The Martin. Is that the, the Martin show? No, it's called Martin. Just Martin. Okay, Martin. Yeah. And um, what was that sketch comedy show that J-Lo used to dance on? In Living Color. In Living Color, right? So yes. I wasn't watching like SNL or friends until I moved out into the suburbs, Mm -hmm. which is something that I just recently realized. Um, And so maybe it's my personality to assimilate to whatever cultures around me, but I think that was a really big major step is now I live here, now I need to assimilate to this culture. Even though I still had, you know, Asian friends, 
I think we were all assimilating to this white culture. We were still coming home, eating Chinese food, you know, speaking Chinese or the language. But, you know, outside in school, we were we were trying to be, quote unquote, American, which was white because that's who we went to school with. Mm-hmm. And every space I've been in ever since has been white dominated, you know, because the neighborhood didn't change that much over the time I lived there. You know, I went to Drexel, which was in this, which was in Philadelphia, but, you know, it was still, in my view, my remembrance, still not, um, still didn't flip. It was still, I think, mostly white dominated. So yeah, it was definitely, so it's not HBCU, so it was definitely a, is there another acronym? W? PWI. Ah, yeah. Yeah, PWI. Now, there was Temple University, which was um, further in Center City. I didn't even apply there. But they also have a strong engineering department. And even though they're not an HC, HBCU, they do have a larger African-American population there. So, you know, I didn't, but I didn't go there. If I went there, maybe I would be different again and assimilated to whatever population was around me there. You you mentioned that, you know, growing up, you did consume some black media like Martin and Living Single, but then you moved out to the suburbs and you started consuming more white-centric media. Mm-hmm. Were you, or do you feel like there should have been more media that has someone that looks like you at the center? Or did you mm-hmm. miss that in your growing up? How do you feel about that? Yeah, you know, I think as a kid, you just don't even think about, well, for me, I was not thinking about that actively, you know, because I, because of the assimilation thing, I thought that seeing white people on TV, not that they were my people, but they were my culture. And so I connected with them. And there wasn't anything particularly Asian American, that that hyphenated cultural term that I feel was missing from the media I was consuming. So that's why I didn't miss seeing Asian faces on TV because I didn't feel like there was anything different between me and them, you know, which is like a, if there was a choice, like you had black centric, Asian centric, Latino centric and white centric. Do you think, Mm. you know, assimilation wouldn't be as necessary or you feel like, you know, you would have, you wouldn't feel like you do now if you had choices. Yeah. I mean, I guess, right. Because good TV is good TV, you know, hopefully. And I would have, Chosen differently, but yeah, there was only, you know, back in the 80s, 90s, there's only two choices. Well, one really big choice and, and like one smaller choice you could make. And, you know, even now I don't really gravitate toward shows that are fully cast with Asian Americans. You know, I'm thinking of like Fresh Off the Boat. Like I watched a few episodes. It wasn't really my humor. So I didn't really watch it just to watch it. Um, And I really can't think of a whole lot else that was Asian-American fully cast. But, you know, so here's the thing. 
I cannot identify anything particularly unique, and I might get hate hate messages for this. Anything particularly unique about "quote unquote" Asian American culture, right? And Asian American culture is a huge term as well, you know, because there is different parts of Asia is humongous. So you know, Asian hyphen American can mean so many different things. Whereas, and correct me if I'm wrong, like. You you can identify African American black culture f- distinctly from what the white culture is. Am I correct or am I right? Am yeah, I wrong? It's pretty uh, pretty apparent. But do you think you can't distinguish an Asian American culture because the the norm is to assimilate? I think so. I think we've melded. We've into white we've, culture. Yeah, like there's not, to me, there's not, like when I was living in Taiwan, there's a distinct American culture that they assumed that I was, uh, but it wasn't like an Asian hyphen American culture. It was just American culture. So I feel like the American part is more dominated and that's why I can't distinctly pinpoint even though I mean I love hanging out with Asian American second generation um, or you know kids of first immigration parents I I know I understand them you know we have very similar backgrounds but our 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 ourness I don't I can't like pinpoint it I can't like mm-hmm. pick it out mm-hmm. like what is it I don't know it's, it's the, mostly the immigrant experience and not necessarily the you know Asian Americanness. I feel like our Asian Americanness is that we have immigrant parents. Interesting. Yeah. I lost to unpack. All right. So that's the first episode of season two let's go into our better world nugget and for those who are just joining us for the first time welcome our better world nugget is where we say something about the episode big or small do something with what we've learned for a better world so i'll go first and then jasmine will give her better world nugget My better world nugget today is that I think intersectionality, which is what Jasmine said earlier, is something that I need to educate myself more on and, you know, really like understand who I am. And this this assimilation term as well, Um, I have a lot of books written by Asian Americans on my to-read list, um, and I'm hoping to dive in them dive into them this month um, and kind of really learn more about myself. So I think that's my better world nugget is to um, dig deeper into who I am, how I am, who I am, um, and hopefully be able to understand others better when I interact with them. So Jasmine, what's your better world nugget? I think for me, I still think it's okay to be yourself at work, whether yourself is reserved or yourself is, you know, your professional face. Um, I think it's okay. I think 
you know, if you if you want to feel that inclusion in your workplace is, is not like that and find your people, get a group together, maybe talk about how you can change the culture from the inside. Um, I think we're both doing that with our respective work and our affinity groups. For me, it's it's more about seeing more black people because in my lab or in my space, I don't see a lot of black people. So a way to connect with more black people is to to join these affinity groups and, you know, see where everyone is working and meet new, new people. And that kind of makes that kind of makes a big organization smaller and makes you feel more more included, I think. So I think I see that's what the value I see in affinity groups is. And so I think it's it's okay to be who you are. If you're extroverted, you're introverted. But I would also say you should um, try to understand other people, <laughs> especially if if you are an extrovert. Try to understand the introverts point of view don't talk to talk them to, de- to death you know don't talk their ear off <laughs> just give them give them a break you know 20 minute coffee break and then just we can we can talk tomorrow you know <laughs> nice all right well thanks everyone for listening to this episode the first one of season two of the racisms podcast before you go Please be sure to like or subscribe wherever you are listening to this to stay up to date on new episodes and let us know what you observe about the culture at your own place of work. Or if you want to talk about assimilation versus not, please give us feedback. I would love to hear your stories as well. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Racisms Podcast. And please check out our blog, racismspodcast.wordpress.com. Peace, everyone. Be safe. Music for this episode was created by Jasmine Duke and Kyle Carson. This episode was produced and edited by Kyle Carson. <laughs>